when you jump into the text, what you want to do is you don't want to just, it's not like opening up a letter and then thumbing to page three and starting to read. You have to know what was before and after, why it was written, what was going on. Told you a little bit of the background, but why here in verse 11 does he say, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I think this word for is a transition word. Look back, stop and say, wait a minute, for what? Therefore, he doesn't say therefore, but it's basically the same concept. Look at verses 1 through 10. I think Paul was indicating the importance and understanding that since the grace of God has appeared, it's based on the importance of verses 1 through 10 that we need to live in light of this. And if you notice, look in verse 1, 2, 1. It says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for, what's it say there? What's it say? Sound doctrine. And jump down to verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. See, Paul put an Oreo together. He's got two chocolate sound doctrine cookies on the outside of a lot of fluff on the middle that we need to remember to eat as well and do as well. So what Paul was saying here was he started out focusing on the qualities of a sound church as sound doctrine. And then he goes into telling and explaining that the uh, the older men, how they're supposed to live. Older men, I'm not going to differentiate between where that is and the younger men. It's up to you. You know who you are. And I'm certainly not going anywhere close to verse 3. So um, with regard to the older women. But it's a sign of respect and understanding, and Paul was trying to express that, the importance of how to live as older men and older women, and that he emphasized the need then to exhort young men and the, and the younger women. So how are we doing as a church with regard to, as we walk into understanding this living in light of God's grace, do we have sound doctrine? I believe so. I, I've seen that. I'm, I'm one who will preach and teach sound doctrine. Josh, Pastor Josh as well. Pastor Dan as well. We sat down this past, I think it was last week, and we talked about our continuum of care from preschool or really kindergarten or nursery all the way up through our adult uh, 110 groups and Bible studies. And we were looking at the, the material. Is this what we need? Yes. How does it flow? Are we understanding God's word clearly? Are we hitting all of the areas that we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Dan and I felt very confident. Of course, there's always areas we need to, to strengthen and work on, and, and we want to tweak to make sure that they are strong. But this is what Paul was trying to tell Titus. Based on the fact that this is a sound church, and this is what you need to be, is you have to have sound doctrine, and the men, young men, or the older men and the older women are supposed to be living that life and then teaching the younger women and the younger men how to live that way as well. That is vital. Paul says then, because of that, because as we come to verse 11 to 14, we need to realize that Christian conduct must be grounded in and motivated by Christian truth. Let me repeat that. Christian conduct must be grounded in and motivated by Christian truth. Folks, it's not how you feel. You know, I'm a touchy-feely guy. Just ask my wife. I'm an emotional person. I don't think you've seen that yet, have you? I'm really stoic. Yeah, yeah, I know. You guys laugh. No, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm touchy-feely, so I'm into the feelings thing. 
But when I don't feel like doing something, it doesn't matter what I feel like. I know what I'm called to do in obedience. And I don't always like to do it because it goes against my nature, my desires to do what I want. And unfortunately, I think our church, not our church, but the church in America today, and sometimes I think we can as our church buy into this lie that because I don't feel like doing something or because I feel this way or that way, that it's okay. It's not. So realize that 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 Christian truth is key. Paul tells Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Look at that, that word grace. Typically, we think of, of grace, go ahead and kick it up there, Rocky. We think of this, we, this idea of God's riches at Christ's expense. And I think that's really good. But I even think it goes further. And in fact, I think it's a kind of a combination of mercy through grace uh, in this definition by Jerry Bridges in the Dis- Discipline of Grace, where he says that it's God's unmerited favor on those who deserve God's wrath. I think about both grace and mercy. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense is what I've been given. But yet I deserved hell. I deserve to be toast. But his unmerited favor on those who deserve wrath. Wow. It should drive us to want to live for Jesus. Because you think about what we've been given. What we have. Freedom in Christ. That everything that he owns is ours. And in reality, I deserve to be separated from God forever. But that grace that has appeared, what is it or who is it, I should say? Who is the grace of God that has appeared? It's the easy answer, right? Sunday school answer? You don't know? Jesus. I know. I got it. Yeah, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus has come into the world. John chapter 1. We're not going to flip back there, but uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 16. John made it very clear. Jesus came into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glorious above the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. God's grace has come. Jesus has come. He has appeared. In fact, it's interesting. If you look at the Greek text, the word epiphany, does that sound familiar? Epiphany, the arrival, the appearance is first in the sentence. And very typically when you, when you read a sentence in both, especially in Hebrew, but also in Greek, that which comes first is usually quite important. They wanted you to know this. The epiphany, he's come. Jesus has arrived. We think about the fact that Jesus has become visible. He's made an appearance. And that manifestation of grace, the arrival of Jesus Christ, is a historical reality. You know, the the world today and our schools today are trying to discount history. They're trying to wipe it out as if to say, well, that didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. No, that didn't really happen either. The Holocaust, not a real thing. Now we've made it all up. You're like, what? 
And you know, Jesus will go right along with that. They'll just take him and push him out of the picture. But we have the reality that Jesus Christ has come into the world. And because we know in verse 11 that, that God's grace has appeared in, that, in Jesus Christ, it should affect the way we live. How many of us, can you personally say, are you affected by the, by the fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world? Because really, it, it all comes down to, have you made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ? But if you haven't, then you're not. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't made a commitment to say, Lord, I'm following you. I'm going to live my life according to the word of God because I love you, because of what you've done for me. I'm a sinner. I need saved. I need saved from hell because that's where I'm going to head if I don't know Jesus as my personal savior. If you don't know him today, I would encourage you make that decision today because really the rest of what I'm going to talk about isn't going to make any sense to you. It may sound really good. But just like Josh showed a couple of weeks back when falling into the arms of faith, if you haven't taken that step and just fallen into the arms of Jesus and said, I'm yours, Lord, then you're not one of his. And you need to make that decision today. You need to accept the grace of God that has come into the world. So verse 11 gives us the appearance of God's grace. Jesus has come into the world. Let's look at the second part now. Titus chapter 2, verse 12, he says, because of the appearance of the grace of God, then how are we supposed to live? Well, he says in verse 12, teaching us then that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's interesting, this, this idea of teaching us, this word, it means to provide instruction. In other words, we're with the intent of former proper habits, forming proper habits of, uh, of behavior. When you have children and, and you want to train them, there's times when, well, for example, I think we've, I've got, yeah. Um, one of the things that I love to do is try to teach my kids how to do things. It didn't always go well. And so we try again and again and again and again. And there's times where you're like, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, okay, well, we'll get a new piece and we'll start all over again. Because it doesn't always happen the first time. But it's the, it's the process of training. It's the process of helping that child understand. We were just up at my daughter Melinda's last week. Last Sunday we raced out of here and we are going up there to help them put in a floor. And there were several times as we were trying to put that floor in that it did not snap into place as easily as everybody said it would when you bought the stuff. And so you're like, okay, here, try this. Lean up and push down. It's not working, Dad. My daughter Melinda is very... Amazing young lady, but very, very focused and says, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. And, and it wasn't getting it and getting it and getting it. And so we were working and it's like, here, let me try this. No, we did. We tried that. Okay. Okay. But eventually like, oh, okay. Yeah, we got it. Okay. We training and instructing and guiding. And this is what Paul is telling Titus, teaching us, training us, training up a child in a sense is the way we are working on it. We are called to do two things. First is the negative. Paul focuses on the negative in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now, this idea of denial is really rejecting or abandoning. Back in Timothy, Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lusts. Do you know what that means? What does flee mean? 
Flee. Right. It's really simple. Okay? In other words, run, Forrest, run. Do we, we don't tend to do that though occasionally, do we? When we're with, when we're around sin, we kind of meander at times, don't we? Like, uh, well, maybe I ought not. Well, maybe. No, he says run. What? Guys, what does run mean? Run. Okay. Any other comments? No. Didn't think so. You guys know what runs mean, run means, right? Right. So this denial is to abandon, to run, to get away from, to turn away from, to reject. And then what are we supposed to reject? What are we supposed to abandon? Well, this idea of ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, you would say, now, I am not one who would, I, I'm not ungodly. I don't live ungodly. I'm a believer. Well, let me tell you. Any type of impiety or reverence, irreverence, excuse me, irreverence that we have in our lives can come across as ungodliness. You say, well, I don't tend to do this. Well, okay, let me take it one step further then. Anything that you do without any thought to God or about God and doing it on your own is ungodliness. And many times I think we do that. We try to handle life as normal Americans. And I think the church in Crete was doing the same thing. God, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. See, that's why you don't tell him, I got it. We worked on that this weekend. Like, okay, I changed my mind. I I changed my mind. I'm good. I'm good. I'm down. That's where you're going. Oh, Lord, please don't destroy me. Now, it's interesting. Jared Bridges, in his book called Respectable Sin, says this. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. When I live my life and I don't give any thought to God, I'm living in ungodliness. And Paul says that's not the way we're supposed to live. We are supposed to deny ungodliness. It should be, Jesus should be so focused in front of us that you can't, Otherwise, it becomes idolatry, and we focus on, really, we become the, the God of our own universe, and I got it, God, and then that happens. So Paul says, deny ungodliness, but then he goes on and he says, if we live our lives in ungodliness, even as believers, then we're, we tend to succumb to the, the worldly desires, the worldly lust, the, the desires of our heart, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, tell me, how many of you here this week haven't had any trouble with any of those? Anybody? Are you doing well this week? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Well, I'll tell you what. We live in this all around us. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's on, it's on the video games. It's on movies. It's, it's in the papers. It's in the media. It's, it's on your internet when you try to read an article and you have these things dancing up and down the side of your, these ads that you're going, well, you're kidding me. I don't want to see this stuff, but you get drawn to it because it's worldly lust. It's the desires of our heart in ourselves. We want that stuff because that's who we were. Remember, Satan has no more power over you. Sin has no control over you. Power of sin is dead, but the presence and the influence is still there and it's still going to tempt you 
It is still going to try to lure you, and many times we do succumb to that, when it has no power over us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, how are we supposed to live then? In the positive, then, Paul says, we are to live soberly or self-controlled, righteously, and godly. And I love to think of this as inward, outward, and upward. First, he says we need to live soberly or self-controlled. That's where we focus inward. Because I know I have plenty of work to do. I always have plenty of work to do on myself. Self-controlled. Am I living self-controlled? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's that same thing. Paul says to uh, Timothy as well, if we, have not, uh, we don't have the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a what? A sound mind, self-control. So it starts with me inwardly. It's my personal self-control. It really means to have right thoughts about what one should do or to let one's mind guide one's body. Many times I think we let our body decide what our mind wants because it feels good. And if it feels good, then I do it. And then I'm going, wait a minute, why did I even get here to this point? It's because we've stopped thinking. We have entertained ourselves. So Paul says, inwardly we start, then outwardly is the second one that's righteously. So soberly is inwardly, righteously is outwardly. In other words, a personal choice to live by the divine standard, i.e. God's word, every day with every person in community without reservation. It's how I live, it's how I live my life around people. And I don't always succeed. There are times I can be selfish or I can be, I can be bitter, I can be um, short with people. You don't typically see it. It does come out. But I, have, I try so hard by the power of God's spirit to live a life of godliness. My wife will tell you, 34 years, that hasn't always happened. She could give you plenty of examples that I'm sad to say. But thank God for forgiveness. Amen? And that's the thing. Don't continue living there. Don't say, well, I just can't change. That's just always been the way I've always been. No! You don't have to continue to live that way. Soberly, righteously, towards others. And then last, godly, which I see upwardly. And really, it's the opposite of the ungodliness in that earlier part of the verse. So we're supposed to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And we're supposed to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Inward, outward, and upward. which will change the way we see everything. You think about that, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. How hard is it? Y'all having fun living godliness in this righteous age? Oh, wait, no, it didn't say in this righteous age, did it? It said this present age. No, it's not easy. It's a battle. Everywhere you turn, it is a battle. And it's going to get worse. You realize that, don't you? Unless, unless God brings about revival, which I pray he does, it's going to get worse. And we're going to have to take even stronger of a stand to live godly. I love the quote that Alistair Begg, pastor over, I believe he's in Cleveland. This, this is really a sad quote, but at many times it's very true. If truth were told, most of us spend longer each day on personal cleanliness than on practical godliness. Would you agree? 
Because you know cleanliness is next to godliness, don't you? Well, it's in the Bible somewhere. No, it's not. I think that's another one of those dumb things smart Christians believe. Because, again, I think we get sucked into believing things because we don't know the word of God well enough. We don't know the truth. We've got to know the word in order to know the word to counter those things that come that come about. Uh, teaching of the grace of God is not easy. But really, as we reflect back, verse 11, those being taught by God's grace, who have been saved through God's grace, now anticipate the hope of God's grace. So as, as we've been taught by God's grace... And Jesus has come, and we're looking forward to that, and we know that. Now we look forward to the second time he comes, the hope of his return. Y'all excited about Jesus coming back? I love a cloudy day. I didn't say I love a rainy night. That was a different one. But that could work too. Was it Eddie Money? Yeah, yeah, I thought it. I, I remember a few of them, the older I get. But no matter what, it, you know what? Every time we get clouds, I'm looking up going, hey, is this it? Is this the day? Is it? Could it be? The hope of God's grace. The hope of God's grace. Look at verse 13 with me. Paul continues and he encourages Titus in the church and he says, hey, listen. Knowing how you're supposed to live, here's what you want to continue to do. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you get excited about Jesus coming? I mean, to eagerly anticipate and await, you won't, I'll tell you what, you know Jesus is your Savior, you won't have to worry about that chair anymore. You'll be able to run across the front with me. You'll probably run faster than me. That'll be a great thing. I look forward to that. No more pain. No more cancer. No more nothing except glory. I hate to say it, folks, but y'all sitting there looking like you're sucking on green persimmons. Like, well, I can't wait till Jesus gets back. I'm really excited. Then let your face know how excited you really are. It, I, I'm telling you, I, I get excited when, when I start thinking about it. We went to Norway a few months back here. And uh, show that picture up there. That's a place called Flom. Yeah, there you go. We drove down through there. We took bikes, and we if you go up around the right-hand mountain, you go into the little town of Flom. We couldn't wait to get back there. It was like, oh, we're going back to Flom. We're going back to Flom. It was better than West Virginia anytime, by the way. And it's, West Virginia is not almost heaven. Um, Norway is. But as we came back through there and we drove around, it was like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember this. And some things had changed. But uh, being able to look forward to going back and seeing one, the people that we loved. But two, it was like, wow, it's amazing. And that picture doesn't even do it justice. You can't imagine. But you know what? Even that pales in comparison to heaven, to glory, to what we're going to experience when we get there. I, I'm so encouraged that when we talk about hope, See, the world doesn't understand the concept of hope. The world has a wrong understanding of hope. Because when you say to the world, well, I hope so, is that a guaranteed assurance? It's not. You know, if you say, you know, I hope the Bears win today. Or let's go one better. I hope the Colts win today. Guaranteed assurance? Uh, No. Uh, not this year. 
probably not next year either, or the year after that, or the year after that. Nevertheless, when we look at what Paul was talking about, he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. Paul is not speaking about a fond human wish, but about a divinely promised certitude. You can bank on it that Jesus is coming back and that if you know him as your savior, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with him. And let me add the negative side to that as well. You can bank on it that if you don't know Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from him forever. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to know Jesus today, that the grace of God has appeared for you and for you, for you, for all of us. But we have to make that decision. We have to be the ones that make that decision. And if you have, it, it's, it's what First Peter says. In fact, turn back with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, right at the beginning, Paul. Or Peter, excuse me. Peter gives this um, declaration and this encouragement, just like Paul does. You know, as many times as Peter failed, fell, felt like he was he was a loser. Yet God used him, and he wrote two amazing books or two amazing letters here. Look at verse three, First Peter one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, not mine has nothing to do with me, as Josh was talking about the five souls these last five weeks, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. He's the one that raised me up off the ocean. I was dead laying on the bottom. Nothing that I could do. He has raised me up. He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and there's talk about the five solas you see it's all about Jesus it's not about me it has nothing to do with me other than you know what I have to follow I have to make that decision that's a tension there that somehow is like oh man how's that work I don't know but I know he he saved me I know he's, he's raised me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because of that, we have that hope of the future. Changed bodies, First chapter or First John chapter 3, verse 2. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, Revelation chapter 21. No more death, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What hope we have. Are you excited? Even when the rain comes down and the storms blow, even as we get the physical rain out there today, and we feel sometimes the emotional and the spiritual and the... And the uh, relational rainstorms and the thunder and the, and the overwhelming fear that comes when, when you don't know what's going to happen. He's there. He's always been there. He always will be there. And we have that to look forward to. In the Psalms, many times the psalmist would put the word, little word in there called Selah. If you've read through the Psalms, you've seen this word. You know what? Who knows what Selah means? What's it mean, Christy? A little louder? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll give you a pause to think about it. I put you on the spot. I saw you raised your hand. Sorry about that. Don't, don't scratch. You might make a call on you. Uh, uh, I, 
do that with with kids that I work with, even with the uh, adults I work with. Oh, you moved. What was that? You have a question? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. <laughs> no. We stop and we think uh, that. Yeah. Selah. Selah. I mean, even the sound of it is just stop and pause and think about that. Close your eyes and see Norway. For us, it's amazing. Heaven's going to be far greater. Well, Paul doesn't stop there, and we want to wrap up here with this last verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He's talked about the appearance of God's grace. He's talked about the teaching of God's grace. He's talked about the hope of God's grace. And last but not least, while we still remain, we have one more thing to do. It's the work of God's grace. Look with me at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Isn't it great that Jesus did all the work for us? I love that first phrase. Who gave himself for us voluntarily, sacrificially, willingly. Why? Well, Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says he came to ransom us because we were held captive by sin and Satan. And he paid the penalty, as Josh has been teaching these last few weeks. That's what it's all about. It's about grace and what he did. He paid the penalty for us. God's riches have been given to us at Christ's expense when I deserved hell. He gave himself for us. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought, you know, we're we're saved. We're good. Well, again, I think that's why he's just been talking about the importance of the teaching of the grace of God. Teaching us that he's going to take us, take those lawless deeds and get rid of them. But in the process, he teaches us you have to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And we need to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. See, it's the whole picture. It's the whole perspective. But he's done that for us, and ultimately he's going to redeem us when we get there in glory from every lawless deed. The Greek there is to release us from the bondage and the penalty of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. If you want to read a great passage or several, several sections, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Romans 6, 7, and make sure you don't stop at the end of Romans 7. Please go on to Romans 8. There is victory and there is hope and there is joy. Because I think a lot of us live in Romans 7 where we get stuck. I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Ah, I don't know what to do. I get so frustrated because I I don't want to do that and then I do it. And I want to do this and then I don't do it. And the only way we can is because there is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ that lives within us. You know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're really struggling with something today, let me ask you this question. Have you taken the, the cord that God has given you and plugged it into the Holy Spirit? Or are you trying to live without the power? It's, it's, that's what outlets are for. When you get your vacuum out and you go to, to or use it in your house, if you didn't plug it in, how well is it working? 
you know, you'd look really stupid. Story of the guy who was trying to cut down the, uh, the tree with the chainsaw. Took it back in and said, it doesn't work. And the guy goes, I don't know what's wrong. He said, it should. He said, try it again. So he took it home, tried again, still nothing. Brought it back in and said, still, I'm, it's taking me forever. And he said, well, let's go out back. And he took it and he grabbed a hold of the cord and he went. And the guy goes, what's that sound? You know, in many ways, we live that way in light of the Holy Spirit. You're going, oh, who's that guy? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He lives within you to help you get through the difficult times and the hard times and to train you up and to grow. But we've forgotten to tap in to the work of the Holy Spirit. God's going to ultimately redeem us from every lawless deed and sin will be done. And ultimately, then he's going to purify for himself his own people, his own special people. This idea of a catharsis, a cleansing, uh, a spiritual purging and cleansing of, of our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our souls. Everything will be clean. Now, when I've gotten hurt and I've cut myself and when we were putting in that floor, I've got some splinters and I still got some marks on my fingers. That hurt when you're trying to dig stuff out and clean it up and or if you've skid on something and you've got, got stones in your hand and you're trying to clean that out. That's fun, isn't it? No, yeah, if some of you like it, you're just messed up. Um, but I certainly don't. It hurts. Used to joke with the kids. Here, let's put, let me put some, uh, put some uh, alcohol on it. No! But that's what it's there for. It's to clean it up. Many times I think we're the same way. We go to Jesus and he goes, here, I have some spiritual alcohol I need to put on it. And you're like, run, Forrest, run. <laughs> no, I don't want that again. But that's the very thing that we need. He's going to purify us, and he continues to purify us by living according to the word of God, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You see, a holy people was God's purpose in paying such a fearful price. Therefore, knowing what all he has done and why he has done it, a Christian who truly loves Christ and looks forward to his return will pay any price to bring his life into conformity with his beloved Lord's will, lest he disappoint him at his return. When we think about that, am I really living in light of Jesus' return every moment of the day? I know I'm not. I know I don't. I fail miserably at times. I totally forget about things. I get so focused on the here and now, right here and now, that I miss out on knowing that Jesus is coming back. And then that's where I fail. That's when I fail miserably. John MacArthur said, just as we formerly were possessed and enslaved by sin, now we are possessed by and enslaved to Christ. Isn't that a great thought? I, I want him to, to enslave me in righteousness. I want him to, to, to lock me in on those tracks of, of glory and of godliness so that I don't go bouncing across the field, but I stay on the tracks that he has made for me. Because that's the way I'm made to run. So oftentimes we think that freedom is so much better. In reality, it's being locked to the tracks of righteousness, that it's taking us to the very place and it's running smoothly the way he wants us to be. Well, ultimately, God then works through us by being zealous for good works. Look at the last part of this verse. It says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I want to end on this thought. Are you enthusiastic or desirous about doing good works? Are you eager to serve and please God? 
We say that our goal is to, is to please God. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. That's my goal. How eager and, and do, I, do I look forward to it? I'll tell you, I know Josh has said too that uh, we love serving you all. And, and that's and, and I could I was looking forward to getting up here today and have an opportunity to share with you because I love sharing God's word. I love teaching. I love equipping. That, that's I'm so thankful for the opportunity that God has given me at this point in life to be able to, to help people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I, I get excited about that. There's times when I'm tired, though, and it's hard physically that you think, man, I just don't have any more in the tank. Tom, you've been there. It's like, okay, God. You're the one that's going to have to do it because I can't do it anymore. That's exactly where he wants us to be. But are you eager? Are you zealous for that? Do we have that desire to be the husband, the wife, the employer, the employee, the son, the daughter that God has called us to be? You know, it sounds really ethereal and, and really spiritual, but it's just through obedience and living a godly life. Ephesians 2.10 Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I rejoice when unbelievers actually give me praise to God's glory. And that's amazing to me. But yet, Jesus said that would happen when we live a life that's pleasing to him, that gives glory to God, that shows a difference in our lives. Again, MacArthur says this in his commentary on Titus. Good works are not to be an adjunct to our Christian lives. Something that we do at our convenience. But are rather to be a natural, integral, and zealous part of our daily living. Are your good works, living in light of God's grace... The good works of God's grace. Is that, is that an integral part of your life or is it just an addendum? That makes a difference as to how we live in every aspect of our lives. So I bring it down to this. My question is this. How are you doing? How are you living in light of God's grace? Four questions. I think, are they up there? Yep, there's one. Have you received the salvation of the appearance of God's grace? That's the, that's the most important. If you haven't received the appearance of, of Jesus coming and received him as your savior, then you're lost. And none of the rest of this will mean anything to you. Oh, you can try to do it, but you will fail miserably. And ultimately, you will be disappointed when you get to glory. And he says, I never knew you. So that's the most important. Second, are you growing through the teaching of God's grace? When Paul tells Titus, he says... Deny ungodliness and worldly lust, rather live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Is, am I doing that? Am I striving to do that? To live that way according to God's word. Third, are you anticipating the hope of God's grace? You know, if you're living soberly, righteously, and godly, you can't wait till Jesus comes back because I want to go, look, we did it. Yes, you did it through me. I can't. I, yes, I made it. You know, running a 5K, the, last, the hardest part's the last stretch to get across the finish line because you just want to go. I've got nothing left in the tank. But for some reason, when you see that finish line, something happens. It's like this adrenaline surge. And you just kick it in high gear. You guys are runners. You run, don't you? Yeah, you know what it's like. You see that end and you're like, there it is. Yes. I passed 10 people the last 5K that I run in the last like 50 to 75 yards. 
10 people because they were staggering. And I was like, I'm going to blow past them. And then I hit the finish line and it was all over. But you know what? When we get to glory, though, it's just beginning. That's the great thing. Finally, have you contemplated recently Christ's sacrifice in your responsibility through the work of God's grace? Everything that Jesus has done for you. Have, is it changing your life? Are you living in light of God's grace today? That's my question. That's my challenge for you. Maybe think about how that's going to happen this week. Maybe the next time they go to India. Maybe that's something you say, you know what? I want to do that. I want to go there. I want to be different. Because this life is short. Folks, this life is, is it's going in a heartbeat. They'll shut the lid in no time. And you look back and you say, wow, what was it worth? Well, living in light of God's grace, it's worth everything. That's my hope and my prayer for you today. We're going to have a word of prayer. The guys are going to come and they're going to uh, they're going to play some music here. We're going to take up an offering, and uh, then I believe Fred's going to come up. We've got a we've got an update on our thirty for thirty as to what's going on. Some exciting things that are taking place right now. And uh, Fred and some of the guys on the board. I know there's a couple that are in the sound booth that are working now, but the guys on the board will come up and join Fred after that. Just share for about five minutes, and then uh, we'll wrap up with the benediction, and we'll call it a day. But uh, we're excited about what God is doing. And continue to pray that God will continue to use what we see Bible here in this community. Let's pray, guys. Father in heaven, thank you again for your love for us. Unconditional. When we fall so miserably, yet you love us. You draw us back. You lift us up. You brush us off. You've purified us. You've made us for good works. To serve you. Lord, help us to live in light of godliness, live in light of your grace. Help us to say no to the ungodliness and the worldly lusts that are out there, the desires of our heart, the the things that try to lure us in. Satan knows what they are. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Now, Lord, as we wrap up our day today, and even as we give our our monies to you, Lord, may it be a sweet-smelling savor to you, an offering that would be pleasing to you. Father, thank you for Josh and the team. Be with them tonight as they sleep. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.